We're at the start of a brand new decade, not just year, it's 2020, but it is now the 20s. So I thought it very fit to give January the theme of starting. And I am going to be talking starting quite a lot with you, but also with other people. My very first guest this year is a guy called Robbie Singh. He's a master recruiter. He works in HR and we talk about where he got his start and how it's helped him. All those life experiences from that starting point where he started. We talk about career ethics and his own entrepreneurial journey. Yes, the highs and the lows. So you definitely want to stick around for this one. Welcome to Misadventurous with me, Tiffany Rouge, a colour lover who's filling out the grey area that we call life to help you live a more colourful life and help you unlock your mind so that you can be adventurous too. I started off in Melbourne and then... That's right, because you used to live in Australia. Yeah, and then I did it for a couple of years when I got back and then I just got so busy with work and then the wifey decided to, to kind of be like, or you're never home because you know you being a recruiter at that stage you do a lot of networking meetings a lot of coffees a lot of beers and whiskeys and wines with clients and whatnot in the evenings especially in the recruiting in the executive space oh god yeah that's a lot of schmoozing yeah, yeah. It's good uh, but also probably not healthy <laughs> yeah no uh, but it was really really lopsided in terms of it was it kind of worked kind of took over in the first year i was back and then i was djing as well no wonder your wife was like, I never see you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I thought it would kind of balance out a little bit when I went to Luxottica like, as HR. However, being the standalone HR manager for New Zealand, trying to do everything myself and traveling so much, uh, it ended up being um, completely opposite. I was traveling, going around, working, um, coaching across New Zealand. Then my fitness went out. My eating went out because you'd be flying or you're driving and you just function on eight, seven, eight copies a day. Stop playing football. And so instead of having a little bit more life, uh, work-life balance, it just stayed the same. It wasn't until I kind of left that corporate world that I actually found a little bit of balance. And what is balance to you? Enough time to uh, spend with your loved ones, your friends and family, in my case wife, and football. Football is life for me. I play two to three times a week. So I play on Monday nights with Ada side and Auckland boys. And Thursdays I've got this random tournament that happens down in Papatoi where you play three games of 30 minutes and there's like 18 teams. And then on Sundays I tra- train with my cultural team and there's tournaments all throughout the year. And when these tournaments come up, you play like three, four games over the period of one day or two days over a weekend. You must be knackered by the end of it. You are naked, especially now I'm 36, so the injuries take a little bit longer to recover. Yeah. And you're trying to like keep up with all the young guys, mm-hmm. and um, it takes its toll. But as long as you, I guess, feed yourself and manage your injuries, it's a lot easier. Yeah. And I found that it took me a good two years to kind of transition from getting injured all the time to actually then going, this is what my body needs to do. This is what I need to feed it. Mm-hmm. This is how I need to manage my injuries and what tackles to go into and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Those two years, you know, it would have been a crazy thing to think like, what is going through my body? Why does this hurt so much? Well, at the time, you don't actually think that way. At the time, you're just too busy nursing your injuries. Mm. You're like, you know, you're whinging a little bit about like the aches and pains. Like, ah, yeah. I'm getting old. And it's not until you kind of realize 
actually you're getting a little bit older so you need to actually understand how your body works and just kind of get in the zone of eating properly because mm. if you don't feed your body the right things the muscles just don't recover and also i started warming up and warming down and which was really really key i think that was the actual key because when you're younger you don't care you go straight into it come out you like sore for a few while and you just carry on yeah but age catches up with you you'd need to start you know warm ups and the warm downs mm-hmm. otherwise the injuries just take a toll i feel like it's that whole thing where you know you're getting old when number one you have to warm up and warm down but you actually recognize when people were saying the value of warming up and warming down absolutely and i think that's just part of life you know no matter what it is that you do only life experience kind of teaches you that whether mm-hmm. it's in work whether it's you know your professional or your personal or sport or whatever it is you know you've learned so many things across your lifetime and you i look now back and think what my parents were telling me when i was like in my teens or my early 20s you know they were so spot on you know they were kind of trying to help me set up for the future but at the time obviously I knew better (laughs) (laughs) so now it's just like damn it I should have listened to them yeah it's such a thing and it's experience right yes you don't get that unless you go through that whole entire life lesson and you go holy shit dad was right I now know why mum was saying that and it's slightly ironic in the way that you think like nah I know better but But you need to make your mistakes, otherwise you don't learn and you have to go through it. Part of the reason why I play cultural football, I play for a Sikh team. Cool. So are you aware of Sikhism? I know it as a religion, but but for... So the Turbinators, as I call it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. That's us. So I've been playing cultural football in that kind of community for over 20 years. I started when I was around 16 and I've represented the New Zealand team to go overseas for the international tournaments as well. Oh my gosh. And the reason why I've kind of stayed in it, the, the, the challenge for me was I moved here when I was six years old, but I acclimatized to the New Zealand way or the Kiwi way very, very quickly. Right. And back in 1990, there weren't a hell of a lot of us as the community here in New Zealand. And anyone that was coming, that were, they were still zero generation. And we still had very Indian expectations of us, you know, arranged marriage, doing chores at home, respecting the elders. You did not speak in front of the elders sort of thing, you know. Wow. And um, it was a transition because I wanted what a, what a Kiwi kid wanted. I got what a Kiwi kid got. However, my expectations were always very, very Indian. And so you have this expectation that, you know, you're going to grow up, you're going to take care of your family, mm-hmm. you're going to take care of your mom and dad until they move on, and you've got to look after everyone around you. I'm the eldest son, so wow. responsibilities are right there from a young age. A lot of pressure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it kind of distorts your view as when, you're, when you come here so young, when you've got such a mix-up of two different, completely different cultures. It was a very, very confusing period, I think. It wasn't probably until my, like late 20s that I really get the right balance up until then I was fighting the Indian in me oh wow (laughs) you know we have a huge family here in New Zealand we got over 800 extended relatives just alone in Auckland like I'm talking extended (laughs) extended extended like they're all here yeah that's a lot of community and I grew up with all my cousins around and um, I was one of the older ones Mm -hmm. however they were a lot more Indian than I was right and they were identified with being more Indian than I did actually I was the black sheep of the family I'd go into like a family gathering and they'd be like oh the white boy's here (laughs) (laughs) and why was that was that because you were so hell-bent on connecting with the New Zealand culture or like were your family different it wasn't the fact that I was hell-bent on connecting with New Zealand culture I just that was culture for me 
So I identified with being a Kiwi kid. Majority of my friends were Kiwi, whereas my cousins and even my younger brother, who's three years younger than I am, they had a lot more Indian friends or Punjabi friends, to say the least. And those were their social circles. And what the things that they would talk about would be very cultural-oriented or, you know, the viewpoints of our culture are very, very in a small circle as such, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Whereas my thoughts were always very expanded compared to the rest of them. Yeah. And I'd say things, they'd be like, oh, stop using fancy words. Funnily enough, I was really good at English growing up. Okay. <laughs> uh, even though, you know... I didn't, I didn't speak a word of it when I first moved here. But right. Was your family supportive of that? Like, was mum and dad kind of happy that you were assimilating so much? Not really. I think they kind of saw me as kind of drifting off from, varying off from culture. Wow. Um, the reason why I even started playing football, like cultural football, was mm. because my older cousin came over to my house and said to dad, Robbie's completely losing touch with, you know, Punjabi culture. And um, he should come and play cultural football with us. And the reason why he said it is because he had asked me a few times. And I used to play rep football for club here. And he knew that I was a decent player. So he's like, I want him to come play. And I just turned him down. I'm like, I don't want to come play with you guys. And then he said that to dad. And then I was kind of forced to play (laughs) cultural football. But kind of going back... That's probably still the reason why I still play cultural football is because there's a lot of zero generational, first generation immigrants that are over here. And I'm playing with, you know, kids that are from 16 to I'm the second oldest. I think the oldest is around close to 40. Even though some of them are born here, they've they've still got very, very Indian values and Indian beliefs. Mm -hmm. And they haven't really been able to look past the narrow vision that their parents have kind of given them. Right. So I kind of try to give back. And kind of educate some of the younger guys going, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about maybe doing studies away from home? Mm. Uh, uh, Kind of giving them a little bit more insight because a lot of them, they're just going to grow up and be molded into very Indian kind of behaviors and Mm. beliefs. And I think that, you know, in the world that we live in, it's so big and vast um, that you should be open-minded it's really hard once those people, it's just ingrained in you to kind of think that way or behave that way. Mm. And I was always the kid that was asking, but why do we do this? Yeah, nice. This doesn't make any sense or this contradicts what our culture is supposed to do and what we're doing don't mix well. Mm-hmm. I always got into a lot of trouble for asking those tough questions <laughs> as a kid. I think it's really important. I think it's great that you are giving back. Like if I didn't have someone who was open-minded teaching me to be open-minded you just get you grow up in this tunnel vision and that's all your life is yes and until someone shows you to you know widen the lens a little bit no one had any idea that you could do this and i find that even these days with business and everything else you just have this small closed tunnel vision until someone tells you how to just widen the lens and shit, I think that's incredible that you're doing that yes. through your, you know, your um, cultural soccer. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, it was, there's a guy by the name of Navdej Randawa, and he's quite really well known in our Sikh or Punjabi cultural community. He was probably the most influential person because there was a tournament down in Hamilton. I think I would have been maybe 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like an outsider, no matter which team I played for, even though there were guys that, that, that I was playing with or against that were born in New Zealand, they were just so typical Indian and their views or their mentality. And one day I was kind of just sitting on my own watching one of the other teams play. And he goes, oh, Rob, how come you're kind of sitting there on your own? At that moment, I think I'd been playing for a good four or five years. 
And he said, why are you sitting on your own? And I said, you know, sometimes I just think that I don't fit into this community. And he goes, why? And I started talking to him about it. And he kind of made me understand. That was probably the first time I kind of really understood why. Because you got to understand that your parents' generation or a lot of these people that gather in these cultural communities or these events, they left India 10, 15 years ago or whatever. They came here. So in their minds, India is what they left it as. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. They came here not necessarily with the tools or resources to make it, Mm -hmm. but they worked their butts off, their asses off, and and they're doing whatever they can to provide for their families to build a good future. However, they can't really call themselves Kiwis because they haven't really assimilated. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so these tournaments are just a really good way for them to kind of bring everyone together from that generation to celebrate or to reacquaint themselves with what they left. However, if they were to go back to India, India has moved on so far ahead in terms of how they work that they wouldn't fit in India themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like a lost generation, nor do they really belong here, nor do they really belong in India. Yeah. And that kind of really helped me kind of put a little bit of perspective around of why I didn't fit in Mm. and why they hold on to the cultural aspect so strong, even though sometimes it contradicts itself. I think that was probably the first piece of insight that really kind of made me really think mm-hmm. and appreciate uh, my parents and, you know, the things that they expected of me and why that they asked me to do certain things. So as full on, as I kind of grew, you know, into my later 20s, I slowly started kind of appreciating our culture, the beauty of it, started digging a little bit more into the religion side although i'm not heavily religious at all mm-hmm. i like to explore all, all, all religions it's quite a journey kind of going through that but i think people have to kind of give back do you know what i mean if i were to just take these learnings myself and the journey that i've gone through and then be like okay yep yeah, cool i understand now what it was but if i'm not helping the people or the kids that are growing up also confused what have i really accomplished by learning what i've learned hundred percent. Like it's why I started the podcast because for me, I'm learning all of this shit and I don't have the community with my own culture or the people that are like-minded. So I put it out there for anyone to divulge on if it's something that's going to help them. I think it's great because you've actually found the community who needs the experience that you've got. Yes. Do you ever do sorts of things like talks and and stuff or is it mainly just like a catch up real, you know, friendly? I've thought about doing the talks. I haven't really done it because I've maybe been a little bit scared to put myself out there. Even though I'm really out there anyway, I think I'm a lot more comfortable being out there in the business world and speaking my piece (laughs) rather than in the cultural aspect because even though I'm part of that community, I'm going to be going against everything that community believes in. Mm. So, you know, all of them are going to be haters. Yeah. They're going to be like, this guy's kind of trying to veer our younger generation in a different direction. But isn't that a lot of that <laughs> expectation as well? Fair enough. There is the thought of, are you going to be another outcrier, outlier in this community? Yes. But you're helping the kids who already are in that space, who feel like it anyway. Yes. And I think... It's that whole thing where you know business, you've got it all down pat, you know, you're a superstar in business, but this is a brand new thing. Of course, it's going to be scary and, you know, you're going to have that. Like I recently went through the same thing of business and I'm still kind of learning all of that shit. So I think it's incredible. And I think the fact that you have such an incredible understanding of what you need to do in the business sense, it will really help you do that if it is, if you do decide to do it. Like, I think you'd be great at it, but you know, it's just okay. 
kids are doing it. My long-term vision, like from a young age, I've always wanted to kind of give back. And that's because growing up, we had nothing. We came from nothing. Do you know what I mean? You know, dad came here. When my dad came here in 1986, he didn't speak a word of English besides yes, no, wow, sir, madam. Um, and he used to walk two hours to work and walk two hours back and he would clean factory floors until his boss kind of took him in like a son and then taught him how to do welding. Wow. And now he's a boilermaker. So that kind of shows you kind of like in terms of we literally came here with nothing. Mm. And uh, we joined him in 1990, four years later. But my parents were always working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So it was a struggle all throughout our life. You know, we were the ones, you know, we didn't get whatever we want, really. You know, we weren't in that position. So it was always struggle, struggle. We moved so many places. Growing up, I think we every year we moved into a new place, even just around Mount Wellington, Ellerslie area. <laughs> <laughs> and then even Palmerston North for a couple of years. I think we moved three places while we were in Palmerston North. Then we came back to Auckland, moved to Sydney for a year, wow. came back to Auckland. Yeah. Um, then I went to uni down in Otago, okay. which not many people actually know. I did two, two years down in Otago University. <laughs> Where'd so, you study? Law. Oh, nice. And then uh, my family kind of went through a really, really tough time. My, my brother was actually, he got involved in some really, really nasty stuff mm. um, with drugs. Mm. And um, he was young. He was dealing Um, dad turned to alcohol mum went to depression and so I left my studies and I came back to Auckland and I went started working full-time to help support the family fair enough you know you got to do what you got to do I think it was my mum's call or my mum and my dad called one day one night and I was done I think it was just before exams and he said what the hell is your law degree gonna do if we're not here and that's kind of when I decided I'm like yeah okay you need to be there for the family and being the older son it's a bit of an expectation that you just shut up and you come back and you do what the family needs you to do it's amazing that culture as much as you have this assimilation and you, you you're living the traditional kiwi life you're going up going to uni and whatnot but it is always going to be these deep deep cultural roots that we all respect and keep true to ourselves like that's that's a value i'm guessing that you've always had in your life you know you're always going to keep family very very close and do as much as you can for your family absolutely even though whether or not that's a huge thing in your community it seems like it definitely is i don't know too much about it but a lot of subcultural um communities tend to be that whole family first and everything like that and i think that's really awesome for forming of your own personal unique values and it's probably something that you're going to pass on to the next generation yeah absolutely and you know i always try to give back i always try to like my nieces and my nephews and i'm always just like what are you doing Mm. why are you doing that what have you thought about this what about that and um i think my cousins and all my uncles and aunties kind of know that you know I'm, i'm a good influence some of them obviously don't appreciate my views because <laughs> you know i'll always go hey you know you should actually let your kids go out in there and do what they want stop being so strict up until i think i was like 19 or 20 i was the quietest guy you'll ever meet right quietest like i was so shy a girl would ask me a question and i'd be like yes <laughs> <laughs> and so what happened how did you become this i discovered alcohol <laughs> um Growing up, dad used to struggle with alcohol. So I hated alcohol. Mm, fair growing enough. Up. And it wasn't until I, I think I started drinking when I was, what, 20, 21? And that's also the time I started going out clubbing. 
The DJing happening too. <laughs> no, the DJing came in when I moved to Aussie. But I love dancing. Nice. So I used to get crunk. Yeah. And um, we used to go to this place, R&B hip hop place called, um, it was in Newmarket. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. And um, we used to just get blind, literally. And I'd watch other people dance and I wanted to I wanted to do what they were doing. So I'd just try it. And I obviously was too drunk to actually care what I look like. <laughs> I think over a couple of years, I actually learned how to dance just by doing that. It's almost like you just, especially when it comes to dancing, because I'm a big lover of dance as well. Yes. And it is you in your purest form. Like it's, it's inhibitions gone and you just feeling it feeling in the moment right like for me i am completely in the rhythm of the song when i'm switched off from everything else and you know hands are going everywhere the body's moving hips legs going right and it's awesome and you kind of forget about everything else you're just in that moment yes and there's such value in doing things that just bring you in the moment the alcohol actually allowed me to let go of the Indian Robbie, the expectations of Robbie. Ah. I think that's what it was. I mean, growing up, I think sports was my catalyst to kind of get my release from family. So I'd, I, I played so many sports and I played pretty much every sport, almost at rep level for it, like all of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to play A-grade table tennis. I've played cricket i was the captain of the first 11 team football basketball we won the ken rutherford cup in high school i do running i was in athletics like that was my thing but i was still very contained i was still very shy i was still scared to maybe grow out of my cocoon you know what i mean i was just i felt like it was i was still contained yeah and it was alcohol and that ability to kind of let go of my inhibitions Mm -hmm. And just be who I am or what I was meant to be. I think that's what alcohol did for me. Just let everything go. Yeah. Like it's almost like a switch flicks in your brain where you recognize like, hang on a second. I don't need to think about all this shit to be who I am and to do what I want and choose that life. I don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that alcohol gave that to you because smoking weed did that for me, you know? And however it happens, it happened and here we are, you know, I'm sitting here across from you having a podcast and, and, you know, it's it's about what we do with those choices and what we do with that understanding. And clearly you've done a whole lot. Yeah, I've just done heaps of random stuff. (laughs) Like, I think I'm always one of the first, like, early adopters. If someone comes to me with an idea, it's hardly ever that I'll shut shut that idea down i'll be the first person to okay so i know that there'll probably be challenges but how do you want to do this i love that do you know what i mean because there's so many people that will be like don't do it have you thought about this this is not going to work you know sometimes people don't need money they don't need any, you know any kind of support they just need someone to go just fucking do it yeah do you know what i mean i mean that's how i kind of the, the trucking business that I told you about when we met. Just lay it all out on me for the listeners right now. So, trucking business. So, I was doing a nine-to-five recruiting job in Melbourne. And uh, my uncle, who lives in Melbourne as well, he, said he owned, I think, 34 trucks at the time. He goes, Rob, what are you doing working for someone else? You're just slaving away. Get a truck, you know, and then I'll help you, blah, blah, blah. I said, keep saying no for him for ages. And then... I was like, fine. And we drove a truck on the weekends for him. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this could work. And so worked worked weekends. And I this is the time when I started DJing as well. So I was pretty... And I was young. I was, what, 25, 24, 25? And so started a trucking company. 
we bought two trucks. My brother, by this t- stage, had moved over to Melbourne as well. <laughs> um, he was a forklift driver. He, he was never an academic. And he was, he's the type that likes to you know, keep to himself. Yeah. And so I got him involved. And then we bought two trucks. He would drive full-time. And I had a, we'd have a, what we call a full-time truck driver as well. And I would drive on the weekends de- delivering dangerous chemicals. And then... There was an operations manager who we work for, and uh, he said, Robbie, why the hell are you driving a truck? He goes, <laughs> your English is good. You read and write well. You're great with people. I'm just wondering why, you, why on earth you're driving a chemical truck. And I said, this is not what I do full time. Uh, he goes, what do you do Monday Friday? I said, I'm a recruiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, so why are you doing this? I'm like, because yeah, I can. The contract was up, coming up for renewal at the time. So he said can you find me other people like yourself and your brother who can read, write and speak English? Because I'm not too sure if you're aware, but in Melbourne, it's all the migrants that drive the trucks. So there's a lot of, you know, Indians, Indian students that don't necessarily speak well, that don't really know how how the chemicals are supposed to be stored on the truck if they need to be segregated and placarding based on what chemicals they're carrying. Then we won that contract and then we put five trucks out there. Got seven now, which is still running in Melbourne and my brother manages that. Wow. Um, So that's kind of cool in the background. But I said, you know, to my brother, I said, I'm okay as long as mum and dad are looked after. Mm -hmm. So let's talk time frame. So from the time when you started driving trucks to now, when did you start it? How long has it been going for? Oh, that started in 2011. Right. It's like eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean. It's one of the random things that I've done. Um, we bought a cafe as well when uh, just before the trucking thing, and that <laughs> that fell flat on its face. I got so hugely conned into that. Um, <laughs> by who? By the broker, the business broker. Oh right. So it was a small. It was a shopping center uh, in the western suburbs in Melbourne, and we had some money on the side. So we're like, yeah, I always wanted to own a cafe, right? So um, what ended up happening was we saw this cafe and we're like, yeah, we're umming and ahhing. It was $80,000. We're like, yeah. And then the broker calls up a couple of weeks later going, oh, look, the current owner just needs to get out. You know, they've got family issues and they can't maintain it. Um, cut deal of 30 grand. What? That's like 50 G's off. Why wouldn't you take the deal? Uh, when you're that young, right? Yeah. Um, you don't think about those things. Mate, I want to take that deal right now. It seems yeah. like a great deal. However, so. so not having any real business owning experience or kind of the doing the due diligence part, uh, we got that business and only to find out three months later that three other coffee shops opened up around us. Oh, that is some steep as competition. There was already we had, there were already three there, so by the time like there was six all up. Now. Yeah, that's ridiculous. In a, a small uh, small shopping center. Yeah. So and that just killed us, and it wasn't like I could actually be in it full time because I was still doing my Monday to Friday job. Right. I mean, I'd like to believe if I was there full time, I could have turned around and killed <laughs> it, right? So why did you stay in recruitment then? Because I enjoyed recruitment. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed helping people. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I kind of got into it. And you still do it? You still enjoy it? I do enjoy recruitment, but I'm not doing recruitment at the moment. 
So I currently work for a company called Team Taylor. We actually have an application tracking system which helps you build a career site. So we actually mainly help organizations with their recruitment aspect. Mm-hmm. It's like you've taken it next level. Yes. So I went from recruitment to HR to now software right. <laughs> in the HR space. That's the end of part one of the really awesome chat that I have with Robbie Singh. Stick around because next week we are talking being unashamedly yourself why he stayed in the industry that he started in and go into some pretty controversial stuff. So stick around for that. But if you want to get in touch with Robbie, the best place to do it is to find him on LinkedIn, S-I-N-G-H-R-O-B-B-I-E. You'll find a big pink banner that says Team Taylor. That's the guy you want to be hitting up for job or recruitment advice. Well, that's almost it from me here on Misadventurous. If you dig what you hear and want to keep up to date with every single episode of the Misadventurous podcast, hit subscribe however you're listening to this right now. And if you want to be even more of a legend and help other wayward adventurers find this path, I'd love it if you head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Go on, five stars for all that positivity, right? So until next time, and don't forget, it's the small choices that we make every single day that build up to that big change that you're working towards. So stay with it. Thank you.